Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. Christians, are you hearing me? We messed up. And we have got to get right with the Lord. Even if you're saved and you're doing something that you know the Lord doesn't like, from this story, I hope you get the the sense, you better get right with the Lord now, today. Don't put this off. Get right fast. Ezra 10, 16. Then the descendants of the captivity did so. And Ezra the priest, with certain heads of the father's households, were set apart by the fathers' households, each of them by name, and they sat down on the first day of the tenth month to examine the matter. By the first day of the first month, they finished questioning all the men who had taken pagan wives. Okay, so we have another timestamp. Investigations began just 11 days after that original call-in, and because now everybody's gone home to have their cases examined individually and locally. So the people, they knew that divorce in this sense, if you're thinking along those lines, it is not a good thing. But the spiritual purity of the nation before God was the matter at hand here. Guys, I want to say that I think they understood that holy matrimony is not holy in the first place if it's in violation of God's word to begin with. We have arguments of marriage going on right now like, you don't. oh, I'm sure you know. Arguments about marriage all over the place. If it's not holy in the first place, it is not holy marriage. It's not holy matrimony. And I think they just recognized this. So they separated themselves. And Ezra, he did not record what happened to the pagan women or their children, but it's presumed that they went back to their countries to go back to worshiping the false gods that they would not turn away from. God says, I'm not having this here among my people. And Christian, I think, we need to understand that as Gentiles grafted into the Israelite people, God looks at us the same way. He says, I don't want to have this sin among my people. Be holy, be pure. So Israel had begun the process of being purified by their repentance and their confession. And guys, it wasn't easy. Repentance is not easy. It's hard. It takes work. It took investigation. It took accountability. It took Travel, it's not easy. When somebody calls you to repent and say, hey, brother, I think you need to turn of this, and the first thing you want to do is go, well, I don't want to do that and fight back. Hey, just listen to the brother, man. He's trying to help you. He can't just sit there. He's got to tell you something. Ezra 10 and 18, pagan wives put away. And among the sons of the priests who had taken pagan wives, the following were found of the sons of Jeshua, the son of Josedak, and his brothers, Messiah, Eleazar, Jerib, and Gedaliah, and they gave their promise that they would put away their wives. And being guilty, they presented a ram of the flock as their trespass offering. 
Okay, do y'all remember how Ezra was shocked out of his mind in chapter 8 to find out that Israel's priests were the ones that started and approved this? He's like, oh, I can see the people doing it, but my priest guys started this? He, was, he couldn't believe it. And Ezra had no hesitation about listing the offenders by their names. I just read them to you. Do you see this? That means it's like Ezra's like, dude, I got to write your name in the record. <laughs> I'm putting you down in the book. You made a promise. I'm going to hold you to it. I'm putting your names in this book. And here we are thousands of years later still reading their names right now. Friend, I, I don't have a real book to put your name in to hold you accountable. But if you're doing something that God's law says not to do and you say, I promise I won't do it again, we're going to hold you to it. We're going to hold you to it here in this body of Christ. That's what accountability is for. Accountability is wonderful, often uncomfortable, but it's very good. That's why we're here in the body together. It's great. So he listed their names of the priests of those who were guilty. But thankfully, they took it well because they felt convicted enough about it to perform a guilt offering for what they'd done wrong. I'd be write my name, good, write it in the book, I don't care. I'm going to go get a ram and sacrifice right now. If that's what it takes, I'm good with it. And they did an offering for what they'd done wrong. Now, I want you to look at verses 20 through 43. There's a lot of Hebrew names. I am going to do nothing but tear them up. I am not going to try to read all that. They're like, yes, we're getting out of here early today. (laughs) You're not getting out early. You're just not staying late. I will give a summary of this last section because there were more priests found guilty from all around the nation, and Ezra wrote their names down on the record. That big chunk of scripture that I can't even dare try to pronounce. That's Ezra saying, I'm holding you to it. I'm going to write your name in the book. You remember when you got in trouble at school? Teacher put your name on the board. (laughs) I'm going to put your name in the book. So he wrote it down. And you know this would keep them marked to stay right. It also marked them as an example of those who confessed. That's the good part about it. It's not just a bad thing. It's also, but these guys also confessed and did right. So it's, it's an accountability. Plus, it's also, look at what these guys did. Follow what they did. They confessed, I have done wrong. So all these men listed in the long list from verses 24 through 43, it says in Ezra 10, verse 44, all these had taken pagan wives, and some of them had wives by whom they had children. Okay. Well, that's how these ministerial leaders had been in violation of God's law. They stepped away from their holiness, which is being set apart unto God as his own special people. They became like the world. Really, our version of it is don't be like the world. Be set apart. You're going to be different. I catch flack from people often. I know, I know why, where I get it. It's because I don't look like them, and they don't know how to recognize it, I guess. I don't know. God wants his people to be his. He wants his people to be his. I see married people in the room here sitting together, sitting next to each other, because she's yours. She belongs to you. God says, hey, I want you to sit with me. I want you to be with me. You are mine. And if you want God to look at you through eternity and say, you are mine, then reciprocate this back to him and choose to be his too. God, if you say that I belong to you, then I'm going to say the same thing back. I give myself to you also and be his and be his only. 
without turning to other things that take higher priority, be his. I know that most people think that God's their priority, but most people don't consider that their sin is bad enough to be willing to sit through a thunderstorm if that's what it took to get right before God. If I had to sit in a storm, walk through hurricanes, swim across Galveston Bay, I'd do it. Jesus said in Matthew 5.29, he said, If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. What Jesus basically said here was you be as ruthless with sin as you have to, to get it out of your life. Not only get it out of your life, but throw it away. Get as much distance between you and it as you can. As ruthless as it takes. I know this chapter was ruthless, but Jesus backed it up. Ruthless. This chapter is very controversial, and I've talked about this chapter with people before. They argued me to the ground. But we have got to realize that God already foretold them that these pagans would never, ever turn to him. They're going to be trouble to you. And it would also cause the Israelites to fall into destruction. So they did have to take some extreme measures to repent. It kind of parallels what Jesus said. And friends, Jesus expects the same from us as well. How many people today would sit through a thunderstorm to get right with the Lord? Or would most people say, Now's not a good time. Why don't we just wait till the weather's better? Have you heard similar statements? I've called people to repentance. Well, now's not a good time. Man, they were living a comfy life, and it's not a good time now. These people sat through storms, trembling before God. It's a lost concept today that I think really needs to be rediscovered again. When we sin, it it should distress us. I talked with a friend yesterday, uh, the other day at the coffee shop. He said, Ray, I'm saved and I know it, but whenever I mess up, I sin a little bit. It bothers me. I said, well, I'm glad it bothers you. That means you're convicted. He goes, but what bothers me more is young people that it doesn't bother them at all. He goes, if it bothers me this bad and it doesn't bother them, what's to say about our youth? I said, you've got some good insight there, brother. These people, the Israelites, they had been dragged away from their homes. They had been kept prisoner for over 70 years. They'd been made slaves. They were taken away from everything they knew. So when they realized that their sin angered God and that this could start the whole thing to happen all over again, they knew that the wrath of God is not something to mess with. We have got to get right, and we want to get right now. They were afraid. Oh, God's just love. He's, he just wants to bless me. Ta-la-la-la-la. God gets ticked off, too, at our sin. And you need to understand that. Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear Him, capital H. See that? That's God. That's deity. Rather fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. I said it, it's in the Bible, you better believe it. Hell is a real place, and God will send people there if they don't get right with him. He's mad. He's love, but he's also mad at sin. Guys, I would sit through whatever it took to get right with God. 
I would sit through a thunderstorm. I'd swim through sewer ditches. I would do whatever it takes to do it. But guess what? I don't have to. I don't have to. Because Jesus came to die on the cross to save me. He did that for me. He went through all that in my place. That I don't have to do all this stuff. But I tremble not only for my own sin, but also for those who refuse to acknowledge that their sin is trouble. There are people listening to my voice right now. You're committing sin. You know you're doing it. And it doesn't bother you a bit. I hope this story makes you shake. It should. When we call people to repentance, it's not that we're better than they are. It's because we know that God's wrath is provoked by sin. It's not that I'm better than you. Friend, if I've ever called anybody to repentance, even when I do that through my messages, it's not because I think I'm better than you, but it's because I see the danger. I see the danger of sin because I experienced it in my own life, personally, myself first. Ezra trembled too, not just the people who were in violation. Ezra also shook because Ezra knew he was a sinner, just as much as you know that we are sinners too. Your sin should make you shake. I've heard it said like this, when you get saved, you've enjoyed your last sin. You're not going to enjoy them anymore. Because that Holy Spirit's going to be in there saying, "Uh uh-uh, don't do that. Calling people to repent sounds threatening, and a lot of people are scared to do it because they think people are going to get mad at them and and that people are going to look at you and say, well, who gives you the, what gives you the right to tell me what I got to do? I want you to remember what they said in verse 3. They said, let it be done according to the law. In other words, if we're going to do this, We're not going to do it by our own opinion. We're going to do it according to the word of God. That's how you call people to repentance. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. You better know that Bible. If you're going to call people to repent, you need to know what the Bible says about what they're doing and go to them with that word. Don't just tell them what you're doing is wrong. You should stop. That's just your opinion. Maybe based on biblical stuff, but you've got to show them God's word. Don't try to turn people to the Lord with your opinion. Nobody wants your opinion. You ever notice that? Nobody gives a rip what you think about anything. I've tried to tell people, I don't know, they don't care. They tune out. They don't really care what I think. But if you live according to the standard of God's word, they're going to see God's blessings in your life, and then they will want that. And then they will listen. That's what being a disciple is. You have to live according to God's word to earn their ear. Now, a lot of people are thinking, well, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to call people to repentance. That's just uncomfortable stuff. I'm going to leave that to other people. And I have often thought that myself. I'll just, I'll let the big guys do that. The guys with the the pulpit and the guys with the radio shows. And now I'm that guy. (laughs) But I used to think that. I'll leave it to bigger, bigger dogs. If that's you thinking like that, then I'm going to quote what we read in verse 4. He said, Arise, 
for this matter is your responsibility. Oh, it's made your day, didn't I? Heavy in here? It's a good heavy. This is your responsibility. Friends, we can't just sit here. That woman was flip-flopping, going crazy, drowning in that river, and everybody was just, oh. Right now, the world's going crazy, and a bunch of the Christians are going, oh. Don't just sit there. Do something. Our nation has intermarried itself with sin. And they can't see the danger of it like we can. We can't just sit here, come into church, great sermon, pastor, and then go back to your typical week. We have to call people to repent to get right with the Lord God. That is the Christian's responsibility. Arise, this is your responsibility. Acts 3.19, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing. Ah that refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Everybody wants refreshing. you got to do some repentance up front to get there. Don't be complacent with your own salvation. Oh, you're saved. Good for you. I'm glad. But now it's about everybody else. Now it's their turn. Now it's serving them. They are our mission now. And I know it looks real threatening out there, But even Ezra was distressed about his mission, too. He was scared to go call people to repentance as well. And I know some of you are scared to go do it also. But that's why I'm glad Ezra had a Shechaniah. He had a person of encouragement that had the vision and even the guts to tell Ezra, there is still hope. Friends, I know it looks bad out there. I know it looks downright near impossible. Calling people to repentance. How am I going to do this? What, are, how, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? Let me be your encourager. There's still hope. There's still hope. First Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, comfort each other and edify, which means build up one another. That's why we come here. I see you all after church talking. It's great. You're comforting, edifying, being you know chatty and, and nice. Some of you all have lunch together. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to build each other up. So I want to encourage you with this. I want you to remember that Ezra did not call the people according to his own authority. Ezra was downright commanded by the king to do this. And also the king gave Ezra the authority to go and do it. Friends, we have to arise and do this matter. We have to do this. It's our responsibility. But the king has given us not only an order, but he has also given us the authority to do it. Matthew 28, 18. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go. That's a command. You see that? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Which means, so be it. I love how Jesus said, therefore. Therefore. (laughs) He says, I have all the authority that there is. Therefore. You see that? I have all the authority. Therefore, go and make disciples. 
So when Jesus tells you to do something, you know it's going to be okay because he has all the authority in the first place. Isn't that good? Well, you don't need to be afraid of what people are going to think of us, calling them to repentance, because we have been commanded to do this, not by our own authority, not by our own opinion, but we have been sent by the authority of the king, and we have been told to do it according to the word of God. Looking a little easier now, isn't it? It's not so bad. You should try it sometime with people. It's really great. And what's great about being in the body of Christ is that we can do this together as a team. I want you to remember how the people thought it best to have accountability in their own towns. Friends, this church is here in Alvin, Texas, to provide you with godly, healthy accountability to help you walk rightly in the Lord according to His Word so that you know you're not doing it alone. That's what this accountability is. For anyone hearing me right now, if you haven't gotten right with the Lord yet, I want to put you in with the Israelites in this story that they finally realized they had done wrong. They were hit with great fear that if they did not show up to the call to repentance, then they would lose everything they had. They would even lose their rights as a citizen. Friends, I want to tell you, If you're hearing me and you haven't repented of your sin, you don't respond to that call. You're going to lose everything you got if you don't respond to this. I want to show you in Philippians 3 and 20, and I like the NLT version because I like the way they worded it. It says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Wow, that's good. That's authority. We are citizens of heaven. Those of you who will not show up to the call to repentance, you're going to lose your citizenship in heaven if you don't come. You're not going to get to enter into the presence of God. You're going to lose everything you've got. And you can say, well, not right now. The weather isn't right. That's your choice. But you need to understand the threat of where you're at. Provoking God's anger by sin is a real thing, and you need to get right with him today. The Israelites trembled before God's wrath, knowing they had to repent of their sins because they knew they would be in big trouble if they didn't do it. There's an entire society of lost people out there that don't yet have this realization. They don't yet understand that their sin makes God angry. They have a false God in their mind, a God that's just love only, that will take you however you are, let you do whatever you want to, and he's okay with it. That's false God worship. You have intermarried with a pagan belief that isn't right. You need to get rid of that pagan thinking. You need to send it back down the road to its own country, and you need to set yourself apart to God. Answer the call to repentance. Let's obey our king. We Christians need to go out and help those in danger because nobody else will. Nobody else can see the danger like a believing Christian with the indwelling Holy Spirit. Nobody can see the danger like we can. And if we won't get up and do something, who will? We can't just sit here. Thank you.
you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.